Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege it is to have your word before us. Lord, we pray that you would help us not to forget your word. Oh, Lord, we are often tired and weary and we suffer and we have aches and pains. But, Lord, we come before you in our weariness, in our aches, in our pains, in our suffering, and look for strength in your word. Help us to be strengthened this morning and to be edified by it. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of John, and we're picking up at John chapter 11, verse 54 this morning. Last week we saw the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus was a good friend of the Lord Jesus, along with Martha and Mary, his sisters. And last week we saw that Lazarus passed away, and then Jesus miraculously raised him from the dead by calling out, even after four days, calling out to Lazarus's dead body, and Lazarus came to life. And as a result, the religious leaders are very upset. Many do believe in Jesus as a result of that. And we see that in verse 45 of John chapter 11. If you've got a church Bible, that's page 1064. I encourage you to have it open before you. Page 1064, uh, John chapter 11, verse 45, we see, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, that's the resurrection of Lazarus, put their faith in him. But instead of putting their faith in him, we see that these Pharisees uh, then hold a meeting of the Sanhedrin with a view to put Jesus to death. And so we see the conclusion of their meeting in verse 53 of John chapter 11, verse 53. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And as a result of that, we read in verse 54 that Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. So Jesus moves away uh, from that area because he knows that they're ready to take his life. And when it comes time for the Passover... The Jews are all watching out for him because, of course, they, uh, Bethany is very close to Jerusalem, and so many of the people from Jerusalem would be aware of what Jesus has done in his other miracles, but now very clearly with the work of Lazarus, uh, that he has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so we read in verse 55 that there's this interest in where is Jesus. Verse 55, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. So there's this hostility that is building there in Jerusalem, and there's this interest from the people about whether Jesus is going to show up at the significant Passover feast. And then we read in chapter 12 that six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany. Remembering Bethany is very close to Jerusalem itself, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So he comes uh, to Bethany, where Jesus, uh, Lazarus lives, and why does he come there? Well, we read in verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha, that's Lazarus's sister, 
served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So there's this dinner that is given in Christ's honour, and there are, of course, Christ's disciples there. Uh, I'm sure there's other significant people that are present, along with Lazarus, and Martha is there preparing the meal. And while this is going on, Mary, the other sister of Lazarus, has something that she wants to do, and we find out what that is in verse 3. Verse 3 of John chapter 12. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Martha and Lazarus are giving to the Lord Jesus. Martha is giving a meal for him. She's prepared this meal. She's serving it. Lazarus is giving his time to the Lord Jesus. He's sitting there enjoying fellowship with Jesus and probably giving testimony to the fact that he was dead and is now alive. We'll see later on that the Jews actually want to kill Lazarus because many people are becoming Christians, trusting in Christ as a result of Lazarus's life after death. So they're there, they're giving to Jesus, but here we see Mary giving in an extraordinary way, a really great act of generosity as she comes to Jesus' feet and pours perfume over his feet. Now, why is that so great? Why is this greater generosity than the work of Martha in serving a meal to Jesus and the work of the, the giving of time of Lazarus to Jesus, enjoying a meal with him? Well, there's a number of clues given in the text why this is such a great act of Mary, and it has to do with the fact that the perfume that she pours on Jesus' feet, firstly, we notice, is very expensive. It's there in verse 3 that it says that it is an expensive perfume. It is very costly perfume. And later on, down in verse uh, 5... Uh, we see that when Judas speaks up, he, he calculates the cost of this perfume as a year's wages. So this perfume is very expensive. Why is it so costly? Why would it cost a year's wages? Think about the average wage in Australia and how much uh, that is, and then think that that is how much it would take to buy this bottle of perfume. Why is it so expensive? Well, it's a, a lot of it. We read in verse 3 that it's a pint, uh, which is about uh, half a litre, so 500 mils. So it's a big jar of perfume. Some jars of perfume that I've seen that my wife has are quite small. Uh, this one is quite large. It's 500 mils. Uh, we also understand uh, from a parallel account in Mark's Gospel that it was contained in an alabaster jar, which is an expensive type of way to keep your perfume, an expensive jar. And she actually broke it open. So she didn't just pour a little bit out of it. She didn't have half a litre there and poured a little bit on Christ's feet. No, she actually broke it open, whether that was because she wanted to pour it all out and it was coming out very slowly through the neck of the bottle or whether that way that it was stored, you had to break it open if you were to get anything out of it. It had to be used in one go. So we understand that there's a lot of this perfume, uh, but isn't it an expensive type of perfume? Yes, we understand that it is pure nard. In verse 3 it says that, Then Mary took a pint of pure nard perfume. What is nard? Well, it's a plant that comes from the Himalayas, from Nepal and India, and so it was imported a long way, this perfume from there. So, of course, whenever you import something, if you think of perfume from France, it's going to cost a lot more than perfume that's made here in Australia or in one of the Asian countries that are nearby. It costs a lot more to import it, and particularly at that time, it would have probably had to come on camel a long distance from Nepal all the way over to Jerusalem. 
we also understand that it is pure nard. It's not just a, a, a watered-down version of nard perfume. No, it's quite pure that is uh, being given to Jesus. And it actually took a lot of the nard plant to make this perfume. Uh, so you got a small amount of perfume from an awful lot of plant material. So the fact that she had 500 mils of this stuff meant that it was very expensive, the perfume that she had. It was pure, it was a lot of it, it was nard, and, uh, and so it's very costly what she has done in pouring this perfume on Christ. And not only has she shown this great act of honour by giving this perfume that costs so much, but it's where she puts the perfume as well, which shows the great gift that she has given to Jesus. She's done it to Christ's feet. Now feet are something that people don't generally like to touch that much. If you think of touching somebody else's feet and you think of that with joy, well you're a bit unusual. Generally people do not want to touch somebody else's feet. And in this time, in this place, it was even more so because they didn't have the footwear, they didn't have the sealed roads, uh, they didn't have cars. Instead, they had animals going through the streets and animals produced dung and dung sits on the streets. And so, of course, people's feet were quite filthy. So whenever you arrived at someone's place, one of the traditions was that someone, there'd be some provision for the washing of your feet. And that would be done by the lowest of low servants, generally speaking. The, the host would not... Uh, decline himself down and wash your feet. But here we see Mary doing so. She has humbled herself. She has shown great reverence for the Lord by not just giving this very, very costly perfume to Jesus, but where she has put the perfume and where she has done it herself. She has gone down to his feet. And not only that, has she touched his feet, but she has allowed her hair to touch his feet. And we see that in verse 3. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. A woman's hair, it says in Corinthians, is her glory. And I know that many young women today would agree still. They take a lot of time and effort looking after their hair. They spend a lot of money on hair products and going to hairdressers. I'm always amazed at the cost of a haircut for a woman in comparison to the haircut for a man. It is much more expensive, particularly when your wife cuts your hair for free. Uh, then it is a big jump for me to then see the bill that my wife pays to have her hair cut. And so in, and, and in this society at this time, women, Jewish women would have kept their hair covered most of the time. You wouldn't have been able to see it. So for her to let down her hair and then wipe Jesus' feet, dry his feet off with her hair, was an act of great reverence, a great gift that was being given to Jesus, a great sign of honour that her glory was being used to wipe Christ's feet. So this is a marvellous action by Mary towards Jesus. But not everybody is happy about what Mary has been doing. And we read that in verse 4. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Here we see Mary making this wonderful act of devotion to the Lord, 
And we also see Judas, one of his disciples, getting upset about it and rebuking Mary for what she has done. And it's not just because he cares about the poor. He thinks this is a waste, throwing all this perfume over Jesus' feet when we could have sold this perfume and made a lot of money from it and then helped some people who really need some help. No, we see that he's actually concerned for his own self. He's wanting to dip into that money if the perfume was sold. But then we see Jesus' response to Judas' speech, his rebuke to Mary. We see instead that Jesus rebukes Judas. Verse 7, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So we see that Jesus has a final word here, and he commends Mary for her act of generosity. And this morning I want to focus on these acts of generosity towards the Lord Jesus. We see that these people here in this passage, apart from Judas, are quite generous to the Lord Jesus. They are giving him of their time and their possessions to him. We saw the, we see the ordinary act of giving in the way that a meal is put on, which is a common practice. We see also the sitting down with someone and having fellowship with them. That comes from Lazarus. So Martha puts on the meal. It's an ordinary act of giving. We see Lazarus with his ordinary act of giving and spending time with Jesus. But we also see the extraordinary act of Mary, this act that is highly generous, that she is very generous to the Lord Jesus by giving of her perfume, by giving of her uh, her condescension towards his feet, that she's humbling herself, and also the way that she gives her hair even to the Lord Jesus. So we see ordinary acts of giving, we see extraordinary acts of giving, and these then become models for us to follow, because Jesus commends Mary for what she has done, and he's obviously commending Martha and Lazarus by showing up for this meal that is given in his honour. And we should then follow their example so the Lord Jesus would commend us. So what are we to give to the Lord Jesus? What should we give? Should we give perfume? Well, I would say if that is what is most valuable to you, then yes, it is something that you might want to consider. But generally, what is most valuable to us that we should be giving to the Lord Jesus? Well, two main resources that I can think of that make up your life, and they are minutes and money. Minutes and money. Minutes and money are the resources that Lazarus and Mary and Martha were giving to Jesus. They were giving of their minutes. They were giving of their money. And these are resources that are valuable to us today as well. Why are they so valuable? Because we have a limited amount of them. None of us in this room, I think, have infinite funds. And none of us in this room would be so bold as to say we have infinite minutes. We have limited minutes and we have limited money. And so those are the things that we should be considering. Are we giving our minutes and our money to the Lord Jesus? But you may be saying, how do I do that? How do I give my minutes and money? Jesus was there present. It was easy to put on a meal for him, easy to spend time with him when he is there physically present, easy to put perfume on his feet when he is there present. How do you give minutes and money to the Lord Jesus today? Well, it's by giving to whatever would further his name. Whatever would advance his name in the hearts of people today is a way that you can show honour, that you can show devotion and love to the Lord Jesus. Helping impoverished people is important. Judas 
speaks about helping the poor. And Jesus makes the statement in verse 8 that you always have the poor among you. But he doesn't say that that means that you shouldn't give to the poor. No, of course, giving to the poor is important. And we see the scriptures are very full of the idea of helping those who need our help. But we should always prioritize honoring the Lord Jesus. And even when we give to the poor, it should be with a view to honoring the Lord Jesus. It is something better to know the Lord Jesus and to help others know the Lord Jesus too. You can fill someone's stomach with physical food, but it is far better to fill someone's stomach with spiritual food, with knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should be doing this, and we should be doing it in the ordinary way and the extraordinary ways that are shown to us in the passage as well. We should be giving of our money ordinarily to Christ's work. How do you do this? Well, one example is the regular giving of your money to a church that helps you hear about Christ, helps you know Christ's name better, and helps others know Christ as well. And so that's why we have at this church the opportunity for you to give to further the name of Christ in this building and further afield as we try to make Christ known in this community. It costs to have a church, a local church like this. It costs to have the building. It costs to have electricity pumping through it so that you can see your Bibles this morning. It costs to have someone up the front speaking to you. It costs. And so there's this ordinary giving like Lazarus and Martha were doing the ordinary giving uh, there so many years to go, uh, go today. Uh, from today, then we see that we can follow in the example by ordinarily giving, by devoting a part of our money regularly to the work of the Lord. But there's also the extraordinary giving of money as well. We see Martha, uh, Mary, very generous with this perfume. And we have opportunities from time to time where we can see an extraordinary need and we can be extraordinarily generous, extraordinary need for someone to further the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, to further the glory to his name. What are examples of that? Well, it could be that a missionary comes into some need and you're able to fulfill that. So Bibles are administered to someone so that someone can go on a conference and teach about the Lord Jesus. Or maybe even within our own context where there's someone who is wanting to go to Bible college to be trained so that they can go out and speak about Jesus Christ. And they have needs. And so you support that young man or young woman as they're training up to be a missionary or to be a pastor in the future so that they can see, uh, share the good news of Jesus Christ. So there's the ordinary use of money and then there's the extraordinary use of money, of giving of money to the Lord's work. And then there's also, as I said before, not just money but also minutes. We should be willing to give ordinarily of our minutes. We should be willing to sit at Christ's feet ourselves, and that requires us to give minutes. And the ordinary use of minutes would be regularly coming along week by week to church services. You are sitting at Christ's feet in a way even now as you hear from his word. This is his word. It's not my word. It's his word. As you sit here, you're sitting at Christ's feet. And what does that require of you? It requires minutes regularly every week. Now, some of you, I know, struggle because you're not, able, you're not here every week, and so it's hard for you to give the minutes to be here every week. And then when you're actually here, I know some of you struggle to give the minutes because of the way that you're looking at the clock and looking at your watch uh, regularly, and you're not really wanting to be here after all. Yes, you decided in your heart to come along, but you're still begrudging the minutes. 
it's interesting, until you stand up the front and start preaching yourself, uh, you don't realise how much the person up the front actually sees. Every time you look at your wrist uh, watch, every time you fall asleep, there's a very good chance I actually see it. And so I am very conscious of the fact that it is hard to give your minutes regularly to Jesus by the fact that it's hard for you to actually bring yourself to be in the building and it's hard when you're actually here to devote your mind to Christ and to be involved in your heart, not just in your body, being here, giving your minutes to the Lord Jesus. But it's not just about giving regularly of your minutes to Jesus that we should be focused on in this text as well. We should also be looking at the extraordinary use of minutes. Yes, we give our minutes each week to come ourselves and even to facilitate others to be here. People serving on rosters, that's a regular giving, an ordinary giving of your work. When you show up for church lunch and you stay for church lunch, it's an ordinary giving of your minutes so that others can hear about Jesus, not just you. We don't just come along to church so that you can be helped. You come along to church so that others can be helped as well. If you all only come once a month, well, we're not really going to have much of a church here anymore. They'll have to close the building. But if you come regularly, then other people can actually come and be here as well as you give your minutes. But there's also the extraordinary giving of minutes. And there's many examples as to what this can look like, where there's a large number of minutes that you can suddenly give to the Lord. An example of this was in a book that I was reading recently on missionary work and how to encourage missionaries in, um, so for local churches to think about missionaries and how we send people overseas. And it speaks about uh, his church. The author speaks, the author is Andy Johnson over in uh, the States at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. He speaks about how his church gives extraordinarily, every so often they give of their minutes to their missionaries. And so he says in his book, One of the most frequent short-term missionary trips that my church makes is to help host meetings for our long-term missionaries. So people from his church go on a short-term mission to where their missionaries are, and it's to help host meetings for long-term missionaries. This includes doing things like watching their children so that they can attend training seminars. So you go all the way around to the other side of the world, and what do you do? You look after kids while you're there. Why? Because this is what they tell us they want. Often missionaries need this kind of everyday help, but they cannot hire local unbelievers lest the unbelievers turn them into unfriendly governments. And they cannot hire local believers lest the locals get arrested by unfriendly governments. It's a very sad fact that around the world, many governments are quite hostile to the name of Jesus Christ. And so these missionaries, they struggle when they have a conference on to what do we do with the kids? We cannot hire local unbelievers because they may turn us into the government. And if we hire local believers, well, that can make things very hard for them in the future if they are found out to be helping in this way. That some Americans have come over and there's a conference on and what are these locals doing? Ah, they're helping assist it and so it can cause problems for them. So... My church's members happily travel around the world to take care of children and do other behind-the-scenes work because, at worst, unfriendly governments will probably just tell us to go home. So these Americans, they know that if they get caught at the conference, they'll just get kicked out of the country. But when we humbly reform our short-term work, the fruit can be profound. I remember a trip to Central Asia where some of our church members from Washington, D.C. were caring for missionary kids during a training meeting. It wasn't especially exciting or fun. You think about 
Uh, sitting at Jesus' feet, this would be an example of it. It wasn't exciting or fun. And you've travelled halfway around the world and you're sitting there looking after kids. The meeting place was run down. But one afternoon, a missionary couple came to me almost in tears. They had just figured out that the person sitting on the dusty floor playing with their two-year-old and changing diapers all day was a White House official. Say what you want about worldly power and importance. For this missionary couple, the idea that someone on a first-name basis with the U.S. president would use vacation time to serve them so humbly was a huge encouragement. Are any of us really too busy or important to serve missionaries like this? This is an example, I believe, of an extraordinary gift of minutes and money, like Mary did so many years ago. This person was willing to sit on a dusty floor somewhere in Asia, look after kids, change some babies' nappies throughout the day, because they wanted the name of Jesus to be furthered in the missionaries' lives and then in the missionaries as they go out and share the good news in that country. So what about us? How can we use our our gift of minutes extraordinarily? Well, one of the ways is often by being leaders of programs and ministries within a local church. Elders are required to give extraordinarily of their minutes. Deacons, the same. Missionaries are supposed to give up extraordinarily of their minutes. Leaders of programs, if you run a Bible study, if you're involved in some ministry, a regular discipleship, it requires extraordinary number of minutes, not just coming along to church on Sundays, giving up an hour. It requires an ongoing commitment of extra minutes. And these actions are like washing someone's feet. It's not always the most glamorous. The way that you can be treated once you're a leader of a program or leader of a church can be appalling at times. And some of the most draining work for me is children's ministry. Teaching scripture every week, giving up my Friday mornings week after week after week. It's an extraordinary use of my minutes. And at kids clubs, uh, that can be an extraordinarily draining time as well. And I know that's not just for me, but it's for the other people who come along to kids club, the leaders, they report. It is really tiring at the end of the day. And by the way that I struggle to recruit people to come along to the kids clubs. There's always this tension whenever we run a kids holiday club. Will the children come? And then will the leaders come? Uh, these days, we get, the, we get the kids along fairly easily. We've got a good reputation with the kids club. They seem to really enjoy it. And so kids enroll pretty quickly. But there's always this tension. Will we have any leaders to look after all these kids when they actually show up? Because it is like sitting at Christ's feet. It is hard work. And I know what it is to wash people's feet because I was a podiatrist previously. And I must admit, sometimes I prefer to be cleaning someone's foot than to be doing some of the ministry work that is involved. And there may be kids clubs for some people. They'd much rather wash someone's feet than be involved in leading a kids club. But this is what it means to give minutes, extraordinary gift of minutes, We are cracking our lives open on Christ's feet, just like that alabaster jar was cracked open by Mary so many years ago. We're cracking our lives over and giving ordinarily and extraordinarily all over Christ's feet. But you may ask, why would you give to Jesus? We have limited minutes. We have limited money. Why give any, let alone a lot? 
Well, it's the same reason Lazarus and Martha and Mary had. We know Christ's love. Why is this family so generous to Jesus? Why is Mary, Martha and Lazarus, why are they so generous to Christ? Well, it's because they know his love. They loved him before chapter 11 of John 11, but after John 11, they would love him even more. What happened in John 11 that we saw last week? Lazarus was raised to life. There's nothing these people wouldn't do. I'm sure if Mary had had any other perfume in the house, she probably would have dumped that on Jesus' feet too. There is nothing she wouldn't give for Jesus. She loves him so much. And we have even more reason to love the Lord Jesus. Why? Well, it's hinted at in the text in two at least ways. We see here that Jesus is so lovable by the way that he, in the next passage, in the next chapter, I should say, will take us some time to get there. Next chapter, chapter 13, what does Jesus then do? He washes his disciples' feet. His feet are washed by Mary. And then what does he do? He, the Messiah, the Son of God, actually gets down and washes his disciples' feet. And so there's a connection between chapter 12 and chapter 13 by Mary, the count of Mary washing the feet and then Jesus washing feet. And then also we see a hint of Christ's love in the passage in verse 8. Oh no, verse 7. Verse 7 of John chapter 12. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. There's a connection there to Jesus' death, burial, and then resurrection. We think Mary was generous here. A year's wages dumped on Christ's feet. Her hair let down, wiped his feet with her hair. It's nothing in comparison to the generosity of Christ at the cross. There's no greater gift. He humbled himself, the Son of God, humbled himself to the lowest point where he had our sin put upon him and the curses of God poured out upon him at the cross. We stink in our sin more than Christ's physical feet ever did. We stink. Our sin stinks far more than Christ's feet ever did. And Jesus is purer than Mary, and he's purer than that bottle of nard, and he costs so much more. He is the Son of God. He costs so much more than that perfume that was cracked open over his feet so many years ago. And yet Jesus washed our stinking feet. The pure Lamb of God, the pure Son of God, who never sinned, he got down and washed our feet. We should be captivated by Christ's love in a way that even Mary and Martha and Lazarus had no idea at this stage. They didn't know fully about the cross at this stage. They may have had hints of it. They may have understood something of it, but they didn't understand it in the way that we do as people who have seen that he was crucified for our sin and all the teachings of the New Testament that explain what that means, that he made satisfaction for the wrath of God that should be upon us. So we should be captivated by the love of Christ. We should be joining in with the example that was given to us in the Song of Songs there, of this love between the lover and the beloved one. Where in verse uh, 16 of chapter 1, where the, the beloved says to her lover, how handsome you are, my lover, oh, how charming. That chapter is actually has quite a few hints of perfume being poured out, the smell that is there uh, between the beloved and the lover. 
We should think that Jesus is indeed charming, that he is lovely. And so we then love because he first loved and we give because he first gave to us. He gave his life, not a bottle of perfume that costs a year's wages. He gave his life for us. And so we should then be generous. Our generosity should always be connected to the death of Christ. It should be the motivation by which we then proclaim the truth, and it should be what we are propagating. It should be what we're sending out. We want Christ's name to be on it because we have seen the honour that is due Christ's name. So are we at this church, at Ramoyne Baptist, known for zealousness for Christ, like Mary was zealous for Christ? Do we even go beyond Mary because we know the love of Christ so much more? Are we zealous for Christ ordinarily and extraordinarily? I love how most of you in this church generously give of your minutes and money. Don't stop. Let's keep cracking open our lives and pouring them all over Jesus Christ because he cracked his life open and poured it all over us who believe. And children, this goes for you as well. Children, you may think that this sermon doesn't have much relevance to you because you don't have much money. Your, pot, your piggy bank, there's not many dollars in it. There may not even be many cents in it. But you have a resource that many of us do not have in the same quantity. What is that? Minutes. Children, in this room, you have more minutes available to you than most of us in this room. You have a long sea of minutes before you. Some of us have a lot less and some of us a lot less than that. We only have a few more minutes left in our lifespan. Children, you have many, many minutes available to you. Are you going to use them for the Lord Jesus? Are you going to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him? Are you going to tell your friends at school about the Lord Jesus? Yes, it will take some minutes out of your playtime at lunch or recess. But those are minutes that you can give to the Lord Jesus. Now, before I close, I should make one other comment and ask the question, is there any possibility that you're a Judas in this room? We see Judas in this passage in verses 4 and 6. We'll read them again. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas's are far more common than we might think. And it may be shocking for you to consider this question. Are you a Judas? Shocking to even ask it in a church. Aren't we all disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? What was Judas? It says in the text. Who was Judas? One of his disciples, verse 4, one of his disciples, one of those students that was following Jesus around. And you're here in this building, you claim to be one of his disciples, so did Judas. All of us should ask the question from time to time, is there any possibility that I am simply a Judas? Now, how do you know? How do you know if you could be a Judas? And you're even oblivious to the fact yourself. Well, look at your life. Look at your life. Is there any possibility that the world would look at your life and say, what a waste? There's many Judases outside the church, and they claim to be Christians, and then there's people who are very clearly against Christ. Now, if they were to look at your life, look at your minutes, look at your money, 
Would they say, what a waste? What a waste. Do you see that person? See how much they give to Christ? What a waste. Or are you giving so little to to Christ that no one would ever say your life was a waste? And is it clear that you're actually dipping into your minutes and money for your own self? That's what Judas was wanting to do. He was wanting to dip into that money for himself. Are you always dipping into your minutes and money for your own self rather than for Christ? That's one way that you can tell if you're a Judas. Look at your life and see how it's being lived. How are your minutes and money being spent? The other one is, are you rebuking other people for being generous to Christ? That's what Judas did. He rebuked Mary for being generous. And there are people who will say, you're a fanatic, you're overzealous. Are you one of those people who tells other Christians, calm down, calm down? Are you one of those people that calls other people, I've had this said to me before, that you're like a monk and you're too holy. I actually had someone say, you're not really qualified to be a pastor of this church because you're too appalled by sin. You've grown up in a Christian home. You haven't really been exposed to the serious sins of the world. And so you really don't understand sinners, Joel, and you're just too sensitive to sin. You're not really qualified to be a pastor, the kind of pastor I would like. I want someone who's sinned a little more is what they're saying. Is that the kind of thing that you would say? You're too holy. Calm down. You're a fanatic. That's what Judas was saying to Mary. That's how you can see if you're a Judas. Look at your life. Look at the way you spend your minutes and money. Look at the way you treat those who are fanatical, zealous for Jesus. And if after examining your life, even now, you think that you're a Judas, be afraid. Why? Because Jesus will rebuke you as he did Judas so many years ago. Maybe not now. It may be on Judgment Day that he rebukes you. And do you really want that? Jesus said to Mary, uh, said to Judas, what did he say? Verse 7, leave her alone. If you're a Judas, it may be on Judgment Day that Jesus will say to you, leave my people alone by going to hell. Keep away, do not bother my people any longer. And that would be a shocking thing for you to experience. If you think you're a Judas, what should you do? Well, you should do what the Christians have been encouraged to do in this passage. Go to the cross as well. Marvel at the love of Jesus Christ. What is the reason people don't give generously to Christ? It's because they don't understand the love of Jesus at the cross. They haven't come to trust Christ's love as shown at the cross, that he was the one that paid for their sins there. Those who trust in the love of Christ always give. They always give because they know how much Christ has given to them. Those who have been forgiven much love much. And if you're not giving much, is it because you haven't been given much because you're still in your sins, you're unforgiven, and you do not know the blood of the Lord Jesus. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's speak to him. Lord Jesus, we come in praise of you. You are beauty itself. There is nothing more beautiful than our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for cracking your life open and pouring it all over dirty sinners like us. 
Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for withholding from you what we have to give and help us to crack our lives open and be generous with all that we have. And we pray this in your name. Amen.